am successful. We can hide behind almost anything and pretend to be fine. But no matter who we are, no matter where we're at, when the mask is torn off, we're all messed up. We're freaking messed up. Good morning. And welcome to week three of Freaking Messed Up. And the first message I shared with you, what gave me the thought for the series, I talked to a young man. And he was trying to explain to me all the complexity and the difficulty and just the no way out of his life. He tried three times to explain it to me and finally put his face in his hands and said, I'm just freaking messed up. But you guys know I'm a very visual person. I'm a visual learner. And I usually have some sort of visual metaphor for these series that I bring to you. And for some strange reason, the the metaphor that I've had in my mind came from an experience I had when I was five years old. My dad took me fishing for the first time, or at least the first time that I can remember. And I remember he took me down to Forest Hill Hardware Store in South Fort Worth and <clears throat> bought me a, a little rod and reel, kids' rod and reel set, and it was open face. And he took me out to Lake Arlington, and, and he gave me these instructions before I started. He showed me how to cast, and he said, no, son, if you cast like this, you won't get, you won't get any backlashes. I had to ask him what that was. He explained to me. He said, you don't want to know. So <clears throat> he said, now, here's the deal. He said, if you get a tangle, call me. Call me right then. If you get a tangle, call me. Well, sure enough, I, I fished for a little while. I had a great time, but I wasn't careful how I cast once, and I got a tangle. And instead of calling Dad, I just decided I could figure it out on my own. And the more I tried to work with it and the more I tried to cast, as you can imagine, it got worse and worse. I finally had the mother of all backlashes, and I thought to myself, how's my dad going to feel about this? So when I think about freaking messed up, I always get that picture in my mind from when I was five years old standing there looking at this reel hopelessly mangled with, tangled with, with line all messed up. That's what I sort of think about when I think about life. And just as I, as a kid, wondered how my dad was going to react to that, I think we begin to wonder, how's God going to react to me if my life is freaking messed up? Because God said, if you do this, you won't have trouble. Well, none of us have listened to that. We're all freaking messed up. And as I said in the first message, all it takes to get lost is to make one one wrong turn. And all it takes to get really lost or freaking messed up is to take a few wrong turns after that first wrong turn. And any of us could get there. So we ask the question, how is God going to feel about us if we have to take the tangled line of our life to him, all backlashed, and present it to him? How does God feel about it? It's really important to ask that question because I know what all of us do. It's just human nature. When your life gets messed up, we then start trying to compartmentalize it because we realize there are certain people who know how messed up we are, and we, can, we can't do anything about that. They're going to know about us. So what we try to do is we try to function in environments where people really don't know everything about us. Maybe we go to work and we wear a mask. Our family knows who we are, but we go to work and we say, hey, I've got it all together. So we begin to think about which environments we have to discount ourselves and in which environments we can present ourselves as being really okay. But when it comes to dealing with God, he knows everything about us. He knows every thought in our head. He knows every word we've ever said. He knows our motivations. He knows what we would have done if we didn't get arrested. So God knows us better than anybody else. 
and how does he feel about us? I think this is the reason why a lot of people don't want to go to church. This is the reason why a lot of people don't want anything to do with the very idea of God. It's not that they hate God. It's just that question in their mind, what would happen at that moment of encounter when I came to God? Because he knows how messed up I am. He knows me. So surely he wouldn't like me. And he must just want to keep me at arm's length. So I don't like him either. So I'm just going to flip him off before I leave the room. I think there are a lot of people who have that kind of idea about God. You know, we would be amazed if we understood what today's talk is about. Because God loves people who are freaking messed up. If we just knew how much he did. You know, I think it's hard for us sometimes to really process the concept of God because he seems so distant, so far away. We know how how small we are on the face of the earth. It's a big world, and you and I, we're just, you know, tiny, tiny one person in this big planet. And then beyond that, here we are 93 million miles away from our closest star, and our star is just, you know, a pinpoint in, in, in the galaxy. And, and God is way out there. How, how big is God? How far away is he from us? And does God even care? I mean, does God even know I'm alive? Does God, does God even care about what's going on in my life? And especially if I haven't listened to him and I've got my line all backlashed, how, how does a God that far away, that big, that remote, how does he even care? And if he did care about me, what would he want to do with me? I'm so thankful that God came into our world. We're about to celebrate Christmas in, in several weeks. And, and what makes Christmas worth celebrating and what makes it worth putting up the lights and the trees and all the decorations is that God came into our world. And for the first time, we didn't have to ask how God was. We didn't have to ask what he thought. When Jesus came into our world, he was God and human at the same time. God worked it out so that God was his father and Mary was his mother. He was human in God. And for the first time, human beings could listen to God talk. They could reach out and touch him. God was among us. And, and what's really exciting is that he talked to people like you and me. And he met people where they were. And he touched them. And, and what's wonderful about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us the stories of Jesus, is he met people like us, and he met people in our life circumstances. And, and in seeing how Jesus interreacted or interrelated to them, We can see how he feels about us. I want to take you today to my favorite Bible story. It is in the Gospel of John chapter 4. And before I comment on this wonderful chapter, I'd like to do something. I'd like to ask you just to read it with me because I want you to know what what I'm referring to when I talk about various aspects of the story. So if you'd like to read along with me, it's in the book of John chapter 4. And I want to pick it up in the fourth verse where the Bible says he had to go to Samaria. Or had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. That's the Joseph of the Thrive series. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God or the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, one of my favorite lines in the Bible, you would ask me and I would give you living water. (laughs) But sir, 
You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? That was a funny question. She had known who she was talking to. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes, and this is how we got our name as a church, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them that gives them or giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You you certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Oh, she's saying, you won't talk religion, do you? So, So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship God the Father or worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. A woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back into the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. (laughs) You talk about freaking messed up. If there ever was a person who walked alone on the boulevard of broken dreams, it was this gal. Married five times. Do you know, nobody starts out to be freaking messed up. I honestly believe that, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, then somebody comes up to you and says, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who says, I want to be freaking messed up by the time I'm 30? <laughs> we don't intentionally do it. It's just a wrong turn here and a wrong turn there. And then people begin to devalue us based on the mistakes that we've made. And we get branded. I'm sure her first wedding was a gala event. She married the man of her dreams. You think people go all out for weddings today? They really went all out for weddings then. No doubt she got this magnificent wedding dress. And the family threw a big party, and there was a banquet and an orchestra, and receptions lasted a few hours today. Receptions lasted seven days back then. It was huge. It was an event. It was in the newspapers. After all, she had found the love of her life, and she had married her dream guy. But it didn't work, and the marriage failed. And people looked at her, and they sized her up, and they said this about her. It's unfortunate. We all know what it's like to love someone, or maybe you've even been there personally, and you gave it your best, or this person gave it their best in their marriage, but the marriage just didn't work out. 
And that happens to the best people. It happens in the best families. And so I'm sure they looked at her and they said, that's unfortunate. That's too bad. But those kinds of things happen. And her friends thought it was his fault and his friends thought it was her fault. But the people of the town said, she's divorced, but that happens. It's unfortunate. She fell in love again. This time, she didn't buy a wedding dress, but she went to the mall and bought a new dress They rented a little banquet facility, and her friends got together, and they threw a party, and they had a good time, and she said, this time it's going to work, but it didn't. The marriage fell, and the people sized her up again, and this time they looked at her with raised eyebrows because she lost the benefit of the doubt. This is twice now. Maybe it's not her fault, but we're not sure. We're going to watch her. Third time she got married, she hoped the guy loved her. He said he loved her. He just borrowed a dress from a friend. It didn't fit, but it's just a quick weekend off to Vegas to get married in some cheesy wedding chapel. I think the guy that married him looked like Elvis. (laughs) But it failed. And the people of the town sized her up, and they looked at her, and they said, she's damaged merchandise. At first, we thought she was unfortunate, and then we raised our eyebrows and just wondered if she got the benefit of the doubt anymore, but this is three times now, and she's damaged merchandise. No good guy's going to want her now. Fourth time she got married, there's no sense to even change clothes. They were just going to stop by the justice of the peace after work, stand there and go through the words of the ceremony. It was a desperate plea. It was throwing the ball up and hoping for the best. And it didn't work out. And the people of the town sized her up and said, this gal is a loser. She's trouble. She's a loser. Fifth time, it was basically a joke. You just met the guy in a bar last night. She doesn't even remember the ceremony. It happened somewhere. No, I, no thought of love. Of course it didn't work out. And the people of the town looked at her and said, throw away. She's a throwaway. Have you ever made so many mistakes in an environment where somebody looked at you and said, throw away? And you've been through all of these things. You've been through, well, it's unfortunate those things happen. Then you've been through the raised eyebrows. And then you were with a situation where someone said, he's damaged merchandise. And then loser. And finally, throw away. By the time Jesus met her, she was just sleeping with a guy who wouldn't give her his name because everybody had looked out there and decided that the only thing she was good for was to be used. On that hot day, she walked out to the well. I'd like to get into her head. It's interesting that she walked out at the time that she did because going out to the well for water was a social event for the women of Sychar. For one thing, you did your errands, you did your routine things very early in the morning when it was cool. It was a hot Mediterranean climate, very arid. And so consequently, if you had an outdoor task to do, you did it very early in the morning. And then beyond that, it was a social event. The women of the town, on their way out to draw water, they would talk about each other's families and they would swap recipes. And oh yeah, they might even 
share a little gossip. So this gal didn't go out in the morning because some of the gossip that would be thrown around was about her. So as she walks alone down the boulevard of broken dreams with only her shadow there beside her, no doubt she must have asked herself, how did I get here? If you've ever been freaking messed up, and all of us have probably if you've lived any length of time, don't you ask, how did I get here? What is wrong with me? You know what the answer was? I know what's wrong with me. I date the wrong guys. I can't tell the good ones from the bad ones. They tell me they love me, and I'm ready to run off to get married. I don't, I don't, I don't understand what's wrong with me. I, I just believe what I hear, and, and I'm just freaking messed up. I don't know how, how this happened to me. What she has no idea about, or could she have ever known, was that she was about to have an encounter with the one who made the universe. And it's what Jesus says to her that means so much to me today. Because I believe what the Bible says. The Bible says there's no one good, not even one, and that we're all sinners. So by that definition, I'm freaking messed up. So I want to hear what Jesus had to say to a person who was freaking messed up, because I need to hear it. The first thing that Jesus said to her, in effect, just by his presence was, I made this trip for you. You know, we're about to celebrate Christmas, as I said a moment ago. You know what makes Christmas worth celebrating? Is that God made a trip to our world for 33 years. God came and lived among us. He wore skin. He dealt with the same challenges that we deal with. He, he loved people. He met people where they were. He touched them. He told us how God thinks. And then, after doing that for 33 years, he reclined and lay down on a wooden cross and allowed himself to be nailed there. And he hung in our place on a cross for six hours, suspended between heaven and earth. And God the Father punished him for our sins so that you and I could receive God's free gift of eternal life. And I think as Jesus said that to the woman, he would say that to you and me, I made the trip for you. This whole trip was about her. You got to get this in your imagination. There are three regions. At the further south is Judea. In the middle is Samaria. At the top is Galilee. Jesus needs to go to Galilee from Judea. From the bottom, he needs to go to the top. Jews just avoided Samaria. If they had to make that trip, they would just bypass it. And if you can get this in your your mind that like Galilee is like Kansas... And Judea is like Texas, then Samaria would be Oklahoma. (laughs) And the way my son Stephen explained to me at breakfast this morning, he just said, the Jews went through Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that that rock, I mean, it messed with the disciples' heads, you know, because Jesus said, we have to go through Samaria. And they must have been saying, why do we have to go? Nobody goes through Samaria. Why do? And, and notice the Bible says Jesus had to. This whole trip was about her. This is the thing that I love so much about this story. Everybody in the world had given up on her except the one who made the universe. The second thing that we see that Jesus says really resonates with me. It's my favorite part of today's talk. So please don't leave after I get through with this thought. I've got some others, but this is the best. Jesus starts an exchange with her. May I have a drink? 
And she says to him, sir, didn't your parents teach you anything? Didn't anybody ever talk to you about proprieties? Jews and Samaritans don't talk to each other. And that was a fact. They both had ancestry in, 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 in being Jewish. But the people where Jesus was coming from, they were pure Jews. But the people in Samaria, they had intermarried with captive people, people who had held them captive in previous generations. And so they were half-breeds, and the Jews despised Samaritans, called them dogs. And that was not a term of endearment. And it was so bad that by the time Jesus was on the earth, as I said to you last week, if a Jewish person, a good, especially Pharisee, was walking down the road on one side and a Samaritan was coming toward him, the Jewish guy would walk to the other side of the road to keep his feet from being defiled by the dirt that the Samaritan walked on. It was hard. And then on top of that, it was a very male-dominated culture. So it would be one thing for Jesus to talk to a Samaritan man. It was totally taboo for him to even speak to a Samaritan woman. And so when Jesus says, when I have a drink, she says, I just don't think you get this. Can you imagine somebody telling Jesus he didn't get something? And Jesus said, this is not about me not knowing who you are. This is about you not knowing who I am. Because Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me, and I would give you a gift. When you're wearing a mask, you get the feeling, I'm not going to hang my dirty laundry before strangers. If my friends know about me, that's, that's too bad. But if I'm with a stranger, there's no sense in me going through all the mess-ups of my life with a stranger, and Jesus knows that. So he says to her, go call your husband. Well, again, there's no reason for her to tell him about all of her boulevard of broken dreams. So she just innocuously says, I don't have a husband. Well, that could mean anything. That could mean I never was married. My husband died. I'm not married. And Jesus said, you're right. You've been married five times, and you're sleeping with a man who's not your husband. Now, a lot of people look at that, and they think that was Jesus' way, especially if you come from a religious background where people wag fingers. A lot of people think that was Jesus' way of just wagging his finger at her and just sort of grinding her down and saying, you've been lying to me because you've been married five times. All you have to do is read the text to know that that wasn't at all what Jesus was saying. Listen to this. If you miss everything else, get this. What she was saying to him was, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be offering me any gifts. This thing about, I don't, this living water thing's freaking me out. I have no idea what you're talking about. But you're talking about giving me some kind of gift. And in her mind, she's thinking, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be offering me any gifts. And I'm just going to tell you I don't have a husband and just let it, let it rest right there. And Jesus said, no, you've had five husbands and you are sleeping with a man who's not your husband. But I do have a gift for you anyway. Listen, this is what God is saying to everybody who's freaking messed up. God is saying, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know about your boulevard of broken dreams, but I still have a gift for you. So many of us have grown up in religious traditions. It's been like the carrot in front of the horse. It like sets up all these rules and says, if you obey these rules, then God will accept you. How backward is that? This is Jesus. This is God on the earth telling a woman who's freaking messed up in the worst kind of way, listen, I know everything about you, and I still have a gift for you. I love the fact that he tells her what's wrong with her. Like I say, if you could have gotten into her head on the way out there today, and you could have, on the way to the well that day, you could ask her, what's wrong with you? And she would tell you, I know what's wrong with me. I can't handle relationships. 
And some of us are freaking messed up today. And if I ask what's wrong with you, you would tell me. You would say, oh, I'm just like the Samaritan woman. I just date the wrong people. I wind up in the wrong kind of relationships. I just keep banging my head against the same wall. Mark, I can't figure it out. That's why I'm freaking messed up. Others would say, I just can't handle particular substances. You know, some people can drink one glass of wine, and that's fine. But I have to drink like the whole gallon. Or I mean, it's like some people can drink a beer, and they're okay. But I have to drink like three six-packs. I just can't handle I just can't handle alcohol. Others could say, Mark, I don't know what the problem is with me. I just cannot tell the truth. I just keep... I don't know why I lie. I keep telling them the stupidest lies. And I get caught in them and I lose job after job. If we could have talked to this woman, she would have said, I can't handle relationships. You know what Jesus said her problem was? Him speaking of himself. He said, you need me. You need me, Jesus. Augustine said it best. He said there's, and I'm going to give this more modern language than he, but this is his point. He, he basically said there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. There, there is an emptiness inside of us that only God can fit. And when God is not there, or even if he is there as a Christ follower, but you don't let him rule in your life, you know what happens? We try to, we kind of, we try to cram in all kinds of crud in our lives to take the place of God being our, our leader and our king. Jesus said to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me. And, and here's the thing about living water. Here's what he was trying to say to her. He was saying, you don't have a life right now, but if you would ask me, I would give you a life. And he said, the problem is not outside of you. The problem is on the inside of you. The problem is that you're empty. It's not that you keep running into the wrong people. It's the emptiness and the craving on the inside of you that leads you to run into the wrong people. It's the craving on the inside that leads you to want drugs or alcohol. It's this emptiness on the inside that leads you want to try to be somebody you're not to please people you don't even like. Jesus is saying, listen, if you would let me, I would give you the gift of eternal life. I would give you a life, and you would have a spring inside of you that bubbles up, not only to life successful in this life, but to everlasting life. And God is saying those things to you today. So what does it mean? I think it means two things. Here's the first one. God loves people that you've probably given up on. There's probably somebody in your life right now that you think there's absolutely no hope for. But you know God still loves them. I grew up with him. The morning he prayed to receive Christ in church, we were both 12, and I prayed with him at the altar that morning. We were good friends. But when he got to be about 14 or 15, he started hanging with the wrong crowd and started drinking and using and (laughs) one bad girl after another bad girl. And he, he always had a lot of bravado. He was the kind of person that could flip God off and sort of laugh about it. So while we were teenagers, I would talk to him a lot. And he'd be off and on. I went on to college, graduated from college, went to Houston for a couple of years, pastor there. Actually came back and served on the staff of my home church for a while before I came to Kansas. And I called him all the time. I would go to see him. I probably there wasn't a week that went by that I didn't call him or go see him. And, and, and he would, you know, he would kind of mess with me a little bit. And, and for a while he might try, but then he would quit. And he would meet the wrong person again and get messed up with stuff and, 
I guess what I remember best was the, the week before we moved here in June of 1985. The last night I had open, I went to his house. And it's like one of those things that you can just call back, even though this is 25 years ago nearly, I can close my eyes and call back the moment. I, I stepped onto his porch. He lived in an, in an old house in a long wooden porch in Fort Worth. <clears throat> and he came out on the porch and he talked to me, and he was drunk at the time. And I remember that he laughed at me for caring about him. <laughs> he laughed at me. It was my last time to see him before I moved here. He laughed at me about caring for him. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but as I walked away, I thought, I've done everything I can do. I'm going to Kansas now, going to a different church. That's it. A few years ago, I got an email. Actually, about five years ago. Came in my office, turned on my computer, there was an email. There was this guy, and he wrote me. He said, I've been meaning to write this for a long time. But he said, I met, a, I met a great gal. And we went back to church. And I started listening. And he said, I recommitted my life to Christ. And he said, there was a guy in our church that would go into the jails and preach to people like me. And he said, I started going to the jail with him and visiting. And he said, Mark, you'll never believe this, but I'm preaching in the jails now. And he wrote and he said, all those times you were talking to me, I acted like I wasn't listening, but I was. God loves people who are freaking messed up, and he loves people that you may have given up on. You may have a kid, and you just say, I've tried so hard, and he's lied to me too many times, and I'm giving up. But God still loves him. God still loves her. Maybe you've given up on a wife or a husband or a friend. But see, that's the whole point. You say, this person's freaking messed up. Well, yeah, but God knows everything about you, and he still has a gift for you. Finally, this morning, you may be here, and you may be that person. And you say, Mark, you just don't know. My my life is so bad, I've actually thought about ending it. I've thought about suicide. Or maybe you haven't thought about suicide. Maybe you're just saying, Mark, I'm on a treadmill, and and I don't know how my life is basically over, but i got to just keep going to work and getting money to pay the bills so I can live another day of a life I don't even like anyway. I'm not going to commit suicide, but my life is over. If God knew everything about me, as you say he does, he, he wouldn't want me. There's so many stories I could tell about my favorite. I brought this with me today because... I love Lincoln. And I used to, for years, I would tell Lincoln stories or tell things that Lincoln said. And and my dear friends kept buying me wonderful Lincoln stuff. And so I have enough for a museum now. So I thought I better stop because I don't have any more room in my office. I mean, I used to to love to tell things about Lincoln. And I don't, probably most of them weren't true, but Lincoln had this great sense of humor. He would say things like he was on a carriage and a woman got on there in the carriage with him and she looked at him and she said, Mr., I believe you're the ugliest man I ever saw in my life. And he said, well, there's not much I can do about that, is there? And she said, well, you could stay at home. I, I love that story. <laughs> Another favorite of mine, he was, see, I can't stop once I get started. It, it was at a big White House dinner one night, and a rather well-upholstered woman sat on his stovetop stove hat and just crushed it flat. She said, oh, Mr. Lincoln, I'm so sorry. He said, madam, I could have told you that wouldn't fit before you tried it on. <laughs> 
But every time I see this, and this is my most valuable piece, it's a prized antique. Every time I see this, it reminds me of a story. Several years back, we used to be on the radio every day, five days a week, at least on weekdays. And they would, they would play archive messages that I preached for the years. And a lot of times they'd be anxious, serious, serious idea 10, 15 years ago. Most of the time, I wouldn't even know what was being aired. There was a guy in his, in his 30s. Great-looking guy, had a very high six-figure year income, so successful that he only worked half the year. He had everything. He had looks, charisma, homes, cars, boats, all the stuff that people want. And yet that day as he drove through Wichita, he had a gun in his car, and he was on his way to end his life. By accident, he turned on his car radio, and it was on the station that we were on. It's been, it's been funny to me through the years because I was doing a series on the Holy Spirit. And I, there was a throwaway line. I wasn't even in my notes as I remembered it. All I had said was that the reason why God gave us the Holy Spirit was because we couldn't live life by ourselves. And so God knew we needed him in our, in our, in our lives. And so God gave us the Holy Spirit because we couldn't live life by ourselves. Turned out that was the line that he happened to turn the radio on and hear. You can't live life by yourself. He listened to the rest of the broadcast to find out where we were, and he was surprised to find out that we were local. Got the name of the church, stopped his car, called information, got our number on his cell phone, called the office, got one of our secretaries. And he asked, is this the church with the pastor who says you can't live life by yourself? She said, sounds like Mark. He said, do you think there's any way in the world he would talk to me today? I think she kept him on hold and called me. And I said, yeah, I can see him this afternoon. This was back when my office was over here on this side before it became part of the three-year-old complex. And I had to move over here to this side, which is now part of the four-year-old complex. (laughs) So this was three offices ago. But he told me the story that I just told you. And I remember, I love my job. I have the greatest job in the world. Because what he was telling me is my life is over. And I had the privilege of telling him, your life is not over. God loves people who are freaking messed up. And here's the deal. Jesus died to give you a life. And if you would give your life to him, he would give you a life that would blow your mind. And I remember, like yesterday, as he and I got on our knees around my coffee table, and he gave his life to Christ. And it wasn't too many days after that that he went through believer's baptism. If you were in Watermark, you know what that's about. He became part of our church, and he was here for quite a while. And then his business took him to another state. And he had been to an auction. And he came by my office one more time and he said, Mark, I just want to leave this gift with you. I know you love Lincoln. I was at an auction the other day and he said, I couldn't pass this up. And every day when I walk in, I look at this. And I remember a guy who was on his way to take his life. I had the privilege of telling him that you may think your life is over, but God loves people who are freaking messed up. Could I tell you that today? If you're freaking messed up and you know it, God knows everything about you and he still has a gift for you. He, he knows everything about you and he still loves you anyway. And he's just saying to you, I mean, listen, because we're always saying, if you knew who I was, and he's up in heaven saying, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you a life. Would you pray with me this morning?
This is the third time I've had the privilege of doing this. And every moment, I, every, week, every one of these three weekend services, I've just felt the, the, the import of this moment. And I'll tell you, I read my email from last night, and it just blew my mind what God did in last night's service. I just know that there's life change about to happen in the next few minutes. Can I ask you a question? I just want to know, have you ever received God's free gift of Jesus? If you have any idea in your head right now that I'm okay because I'm a good person, I love you enough to tell you you haven't received him yet. Because you have to get to the place where you admit you're totally freaking messed up. And you have no hope. But God, knowing and loving you, knowing everything about you and loving you anyway, gave his son to die in your place. When you get to the place where you have no hope but Jesus, you are ready to invite him into your life. And I want to ask you right now, no matter who you are, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, would you just shake loose all the religion? And would you shake loose all the guilt and all the stuff and the crud that messes you up? And could it just be a moment where like at the well, you and Jesus are there. And even though you may have traveled the boulevard of broken dreams, he's there. And he's saying, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you a life. If you were ready for that moment, I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And these aren't magic words, but the important thing is what you mean on the inside. And if you mean it with all your your heart, you can reach out to Jesus just like this gal did. You ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I agree that I can't save myself. But I believe you died in my place. And I believe you arose from the grave. You know all about me. But you said you had a gift for me. I received that gift of forgiveness. Life. Thank you for making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I have a gift for you. Nothing like God's gift, okay? But it's a gift. And it's just a packet that I've done up for you. It's got some DVDs and what to do after you follow Jesus. It's free. It won't cost you anything. I want to give it to you. If you just pray with me to receive Christ, would you do something? Would you take your, your worship guide? There's a card at the bottom. It's detachable. And you can see there's a little picture of this, of this packet. And if you just prayed to receive Christ, would you just put your name and address on there? Check the box. It says, I prayed to receive Christ. If you want to drop it in the offering bag, I will mail it to you this week. But if you're like me and you don't like to wait, I can't stand to wait for anything. You can get this today if you just prayed to receive Christ. I'm going to point right behind the camera operators. Out in the lobby, there's two zones straight back there called Guest Services and New Springs Store. You can take the card to either one of them. And they won't hassle you. They won't ask you questions or anything. All you got to do is say, I pray with Mark. Just bring them the card. They'll give you this, and you can take it home with you today. I got to stop preaching because I'm running out of time. Could I just say one more thing? There's only one, part of the, one more part of this message. Listen, when this gal intersected Jesus... It changed her agenda because the Bible says she left her water pot and went back to find more people who needed God's gift and brought out the whole town to Jesus. Let me tell you something. When you really know Jesus, it will change your agenda. You will stop living for the things that everybody else lives for, and you will start living to change the world through Christ. So th that's free. That didn't cost anything, but I just I love that part of the story. Guys, we have one more weekend of freaking messed up. I can't wait for next weekend. We're going to close this out. This has been a tremendous series. God is changing lives. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're a part of a church where God is doing extraordinary things.